Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. You are listening to a sermon series through the final chapters of Mark's Gospel, entitled, A Saviour's Love. The Bible reading is from Mark chapter 14 and verses 12 through to 26. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into this city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house where he enters, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Today we start in a new series through the final chapters of the Gospel of Mark entitled, A Saviour's Love. And you will remember how Jesus came announcing the good news of the Kingdom of God. And effectively what Jesus is saying is that He is the appointed and the chosen King who is going to bring in God's kingdom, who is going to bring in God's good rule, God's justice, God's salvation to the world. Of course, at the moment, evil, sin, and death are ruling the world. And so the Jews were waiting for God's true king to come and defeat all evil and establish the kingdom of God. And of course for the Jews, defeating all evil meant defeating the Romans and kicking the Romans out of Israel. And Jesus on at least three occasions tried to explain to them that that was not why He had come. He hadn't come to defeat the Romans, but He had come to die. You see, the real enemy is not the Romans. The real enemy was evil itself. 
And that's even the evil within our own hearts. But it doesn't matter how many times they try to explain it, uh, they just didn't seem to understand. They just didn't seem to catch on. It was as if they were too caught up in their own nationalistic zeal to, to actually hear that Jesus had come to die and that he had come to die for everyone, including the Romans. As Jesus says in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem, the capital city. This is the place where the true king should take his throne and the war against evil, against the Romans, should start. So there's this huge crowd following Jesus and in this highly politically charged atmosphere, there's this great expectation. Could he be the Messiah? And everyone is hopeful. Well, everyone except the chief priest and his cronies. They don't like Jesus. Ever since Jesus busted up the temple, throwing, turning over the tables, chasing out those trying to sell the sacrificial animals as if he owned the place, ever since then, they haven't liked Jesus. And Jesus effectively accused the high priest and his cronies of exploiting the poor and the widows. And he effectively accuses them of excluding certain people from the very presence of God. They were excluding the foreigners, the non-Jews, and the socially outcast. And although the, the high priest and his cronies hate foreigners, especially the Romans, they did like the status quo that the Romans offered them. It gave them power and money. So Jesus was a threat to them. Jesus was a threat to the status quo. And so they decided to kill Jesus. But of course they couldn't arrest Jesus in broad daylight because the crowds loved him. If they tried to arrest Jesus in broad daylight, there would have been a riot. So they're waiting for an opportune time under the cover of darkness to arrest Jesus and kill him. Jesus, of course, knows this. He's, he's predicted this three times in, in chapter 8, and chapter 9, and chapter 10. So every day before it gets dark, Jesus leaves Jerusalem and goes to a town called Bethany. But tonight is different. It's Passover. Passover was the, the, the greatest Jewish festival. And at Passover, all Jewish men had to, had to come to Jerusalem to celebrate their Passover. You had to sacrifice your Passover lamb at the temple. And you had to eat your Passover meal with at least ten other people within the city of Jerusalem. So in order for Jesus to be able to celebrate the Passover meal, Jesus has to be in Jerusalem at night. 
You, you, you had to eat the meal between sunset and midnight. So Jesus has to be in Jerusalem at night. And we read in Mark chapter 14 and verse 12. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Jesus knows that the end is near. And so he is completely determined to share this Passover meal with his closest friends. And and in verse uh, 13 uh, through to 15, uh, uh, Jesus ha- uh, Jesus' disciples have this secret agent thing going on. Find a guy doing woman's work, carrying a water jar, follow him, give him the secret password. The teacher asks, where is my guest room? So this indicates some kind of forward planning, advanced planning by Jesus. And it also indicates that there is a a network of supporters, almost like an underground network of supporters within the city of Jerusalem. But it's all so secretive. You see, Jesus, it seems as though Jesus is absolutely determined to have this meal and he's absolutely determined that that no one should, should interrupt it. There should be no interruptions. So not even his closest disciples know where they're going to eat the meal. It's all so secretive. Follow some unnamed person to some secret location. It's almost as if Jesus knows that there's a traitor within his midst. Because it will take betrayal by a closest friend to put him at the mercy of the high priest and his cronies. And of course, there is a traitor. And Jesus does know it. And Jesus says in verse 18, while they're having the meal, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Of course, all the disciples deny it. And then Jesus says in verse 20, It is one of the twelve, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. One of Jesus' closest friends, someone who actually shares a meal with him. We need to understand the significance of sharing a meal within that culture. You would only share a meal with one of your closest friends, with, with a family member. It was a way of sharing your life with each other. And he had someone who eats with Jesus, closest friend, who betrays him. Why is Jesus so determined to have this meal? I mean, why is he going to such great lengths to to keep the location uh, secretive, to keep everything secretive, to make sure that there's no interruptions? What's so important about this meal? This is Jesus' last opportunity to explain the true significance of his death to his closest friends. And rather doing what I would do and giving a great theological lecture, he shares a meal with them. 
So what's so significant about this meal, the Passover meal? Well, the Passover meal was the most important festival, Jewish festival. It was where they would gather with their, their closest friends and family and they would remember and celebrate how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt in the Exodus. Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, had enslaved the Israelites and he was treating them cruelly and he wouldn't let them go. And he was hard-hearted and he was stubborn. And it doesn't matter how many warnings he was given, how many plagues that happened, he refused to let the Israelites go. Eventually, in order to, to get him to allow the Israelites to go, God has to send a plague that will kill the firstborn son, every single firstborn son. And the Israelites took the blood of a lamb and they put it on their doorposts so that death would pass over. That's where we get the name from, the Passover. That death would pass over there. And it was this plague that led to Pharaoh allowing them to go. And they had to leave in haste because Pharaoh would soon change his mind and chase after them. And so at the Passover meal, you had to eat a, a lamb, a roasted lamb, unleavened bread, bitter herbs, a fruit paste dish, and red wine. And everyone would recline on, on low couches or on rugs on the floor, around the table, to symbolize their freedom. Within that culture, a free person wouldn't sit, they would recline. And while they were reclining around the table, someone would act as host and would lead the, the, the celebration. And someone else would ask, they would ask the question, what makes this meal different from all other meals? And the host would point to the various items on the table. He would point to the bitter herbs and say, well, that reminds us of our bitter slavery in Egypt. He would point to the unleavened bread and say, well, that would remind us of how we had to leave in such haste that we didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise. But the most important element, of course, was the roasted lamb, which reminded them of how they ate the lamb and how they took the blood and put it on their doorposts as a covering to protect them from death. And so this was a very important meal. It's where you would gather together with all your friends and your family, kind of like we would do at Christmas, all your friends and your family, and you would remember what God had done for you. But it was more than that. It was more than just remembering. It was actually a way of participating in the Exodus. It was a way of expressing solidarity with your ancestors. So when they were talking about the years of slavery, they wouldn't say, when our forefathers were in slavery. No. They would say, when we were in slavery. And so through this meal, they would experience God's deliverance from, from Egypt, from slavery, afresh for themselves. So it was the most important Jewish festival. So how much nerve does it take to hijack 
the most important Jewish festival. I mean, never mind Moses and the Exodus and the whole basis of our faith. I've got something to tell you. Well, guess what? Jesus has a lot of nerve. And we read in verse 22, While they were eating, Jesus took bread. He's acting as the host. Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Wow. <laughs> We don't realize, because we're not Jewish, we don't realize how mind-blowing this is. These are the wrong words. You don't say this at Passover. Jesus is changing over a thousand years of history. And he's claiming that the bread and the wine, rather than looking back to the Exodus, actually point to him. And more specifically, to his death. As such, Jesus is saying that, that he is like the Passover lamb. And his death is like a sacrifice. And just as the Passover lamb, the death of the Passover lamb brought freedom from slavery, his death is going to bring about a greater freedom. A freedom from sin and evil and death itself. And Jesus says in verse, verse 24, His blood was poured out for many. Jesus gives His life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is that suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53, who, who takes our sin upon Himself. He takes our guilt and our shame upon Himself and He bears the consequences of our sin. And on the cross, He deals with our sin. And through His death and His resurrection, He defeats sin and evil and death. So that we can experience freedom, forgiveness, and eternal life. And it says that He died for many. Jesus died for anyone and everyone who would put their faith in Him. And that includes us. What love. This is the Savior's love. That He loved us so much. That He loved me so much that He died for me. That He loved you so much that He died for you. And in verse 24, Jesus says that His blood is the blood of the covenant. What He means is that his death brings in a new agreement, a new covenant between God and us. The old agreement, the old covenant in the Old Testament has become broken. 
The temple was the place where people would go to meet with God and where they would go to have their sins forgiven, but the whole system has become corrupt. The high priest and his cronies are exploiting the poor and the widows. They are excluding some people. They are excluding the foreigners, the non-Jews and the socially outcasts. The whole system has become corrupt. The temple was meant to be the place where people could go to meet with God and have their sins forgiven, but it's become corrupt. And Jesus, through his death, brings in a new agreement that supersedes the old agreement and actually makes the old temple, the whole temple, redundant. You see, we, we don't go to the temple to come into the presence of God. We don't go to the temple to have our sins forgiven. We don't go to a place where we go to a person. For through faith in Jesus, we experience forgiveness. And we can experience the very presence of God in our life by the Holy Spirit. And this is not limited to a geographical area. It's not limited to a nationality or to a racial group or a people group. No, it's open to anyone and everyone who would put their faith in Jesus. So what is Jesus doing here? He's making a new agreement between us and God. He's creating a new opportunity for us to come into a relationship with our Father in Heaven through faith in Him. And He takes this old Passover meal and He transforms it into the Lord's Supper. And, and the Lord's Supper doesn't just explain to us the death of Jesus, but actually becomes a way that we can experience the benefits of Jesus' death. So just as bread nourishes the body, so this meal nourishes us spiritually when we eat of the bread and drink the wine with a genuine faith in Jesus. Now it's important for us to remember the significance of eating with someone in that culture. I mean, today we, would, we, we will eat with anybody. I mean, any, we'll have a meal with anybody, especially if they pay. <laughs> but in that culture, you would only eat with your closest friends and family. You only eat with people that you share in your life with. And Jesus invites us to share this meal with Him. Jesus invites us to share our life with Him as His closest friend, as family. And so whenever we, we eat the bread and we drink the wine together, we are sharing our lives with Jesus and we are sharing our lives with each other as closest friends as family. And whenever we eat the bread and drink the wine in faith, we are including ourselves in the many that Jesus died for. And we experience the love of God and the forgiveness of God afresh. And by the Holy Spirit, we experience the very presence of Jesus with us in a unique and special way. So when we take communion, Firstly, we look back and we remember what Jesus did for us. We remember that Jesus died for us. We remember that He died for me, 
for my sin, for my guilt, for my shame, so that I could experience freedom, forgiveness, and eternal life. What love! This is the Savior's love. That He loved me so much that He poured out His blood for me. And that He loved you so much that He poured out His blood for you. Secondly, we look up. We look up to God. And we experience His love and His forgiveness afresh. And we experience the very presence of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in a unique and special way. Thirdly, we look around. We look around at our brothers and sisters in Jesus. For Jesus' death doesn't only unite us to God, but it unites us to one another. You see, God has become our Father, and that makes us brothers and sisters. We're family. And you can't experience this meal in isolation. You can only experience this meal within the family of God. Fourthly, we look forward. We look forward to the day when Jesus returns and we share this meal with Jesus face to face. As verse 25 says, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Do you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? The kingdom of God is like a meal. It's like a dinner party. It's like the the best dinner party ever. You know what I think? I think people who love watching cooking programs on TV, deep down, want to get saved. They are, they are looking forward to that perfect meal in that perfect atmosphere with the perfect guests and that's the kingdom of God. And you know what? Everyone's invited. Jesus invites everyone to come and share this meal with Him. And the way we do that is by putting our faith in Jesus and eating the bread and drinking the wine together with our brothers and sisters in Jesus. And you know what? We're on the welcoming committee. We need to invite people. That's that's the challenge for us this week, is to go out and invite people to come and share a meal with us. And build a relationship with them. And then invite them to come to church on Sunday or another Sunday. And, and, and invite them to share in the most important, the most significant meal in all history. Invite them to share the Lord's Supper. And experience the love of a Savior. Personally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we are humbled as we reflect back on what you, what you did for us. That you were prepared to become our Passover lamb. That you were prepared to pour out your blood. So that we could experience forgiveness. 
So we could experience eternal life. So we could experience freedom. We stand in awe at your, and amazed at your awesome love, a Savior's love, that you were prepared to die for us because you love us, because you want a relationship with us, because you want to share a meal with us, and you want to share your life with us. And Father, we thank you that through this meal we have such a great hope of one day sharing that meal with you face to face for all eternity. And so, Father, we pray that we wouldn't become like the, the high priest and his cronies and try and hog the blessing for ourselves and, and try and exclude others and look down our noses at others. But, Father, help us to have that Spirit of Jesus who goes out and welcomes and invites all people to come and share the meal. Father, give us that love and that passion to reach out to, to our community with your love and invite them to experience the greatest meal ever the most important meal, the most significant meal, the Lord's Supper. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.